0: Holy Spirit, to encounter our hearts and encounter our lives. And Lord, you're the one that has to change us, and you change us from the inside out. So we invite that here in this room today. So we give these few moments to you, these things we pray in your name. Amen. Have you ever had a day recently where you went from morning till night and you get home and you sit down in the chair, and all of a sudden it's you're snoring or you're sleeping. Anybody have one of those recently? A couple of you have. Uh, I had one a couple weeks ago, and it was like I woke up at two in the morning, and TV was still going. And uh, but understand that snapshot of of being tired and. Worn out, that's actually a picture of where Jesus was at in the text that we have this morning. I want to put it on the screen, Mark chapter 4. If you're new here, we've been walking through the book of Mark, and we're at verse four, verse, chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when the evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, and just as he was, and other boats were with him. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? A full day for Jesus. Just imagine, he's he's actually maybe standing, more than likely standing in a boat just offshore. He's teaching this group, this crowd for hours. And I imagine it would have been with much intensity just so people could hear but maybe even a hot sun, who knows how long it was, but he was exhausted. And he says, guys, let's go across Let's get away from the people a bit, let's cross the lake and go to the other side. And as soon as he gets in the boat, he finds his way to the back, he lays down, and he hits the snooze button. And But even that picture, folks, it's a reminder of, of the humanity of Christ, of Jesus, that he was fully human as well. He Experienced fatigue and the pressures of the day just like we do. But here's where we need some other pieces to this story because recognize here as we jump into it, some of the disciples here were fishermen, they were experienced sailors, they were out on the sea all the time. And you catch the phrase in verse 37 a great windstorm arose. Now, I I understand that was actually pretty common for this. Uh, this we would call it a lake. Okay, the sea, the Sea of Galilee, and but the Sea of Galilee actually is a pretty unusual uh, body of water. I'm, let me put a picture on the screen for you. Uh, here's coming up on a hillside here and there's lots of things that went on around the Sea of Galilee here with Jesus. If you ever look it up, you could see that and they'll give you kind of where things took place. But it's about 13 miles long, 7 miles wide, about 150 feet deep in some spots. But the unique part of this lake, it, it's 680 feet below sea level. Now, the Jordan River flows into it And it's kind of the main river that gives it water. There's springs there as well. But because the Sea of Galilee is so low, and you notice that there's some mountains there on the other side, is that it's susceptible to winds coming over the mountains and dropping and suddenly hitting the lake. It creates these downdrafts. And and they tell us that the storms can come up immediately. Now, it doesn't usually come up at night. That's what I did find out. But it can create, they said it can create 20-foot waves on this small lake. You go, 20-foot waves? Wouldn't want to be in that boat. Okay? But it tells us that that you understand what the reality of that lake was like. But these men set out at night, or close to at night. I assume it's getting dark. But they weren't expecting a storm, and all of a sudden, the winds come up. Now one other piece to this story. Uh, in, in 1986, when there was a severe drought of this lake, they actually uncovered a boat, and it, they dated it back, actually, to almost the time of Christ. And that boat was 27 feet long, seven and a half feet wide and four and a half feet high. So it well could have handled all of the disciples as they were going across the lake. So verse thirty seven tells us, though, as they're getting it going in the lake, the waves are coming over that boat, filling it with water. Now, understand it wasn't rain either. We don't think that it was, they don't believe that it was rain going on at all. It was just a wind. If it would have been rain, Jesus probably would have woke up. But it would have been dark and the winds come. Water's going over the the side of the boat, and they push the panic button. And these, again, seasoned fishermen, they experience the water, and they're still in a panic. Now, here's where we need to go with this story. This is a crisis event for these men. It's one of those moments that they would remember forever having been on that kind of the water and just the waves and what was happening. But think about it. If you apply that to our lives, isn't this true that we have storms in our lives that can come up all of a sudden? We have these events in our lives that we have to admit can be filled with great fear. I, uh, if, if you're following along in the bulletin outline there, I, I said this, I found this, somebody said this about uh, the way we, our lives are, and I think it's true. There are three parts to our life. We are either in the midst of a storm, we're coming out of a life storm, or we're getting ready to enter another storm. Isn't that true Sometimes. See, the reality is, is that one moment the bottom can fall out in our lives. We can be enjoying fair weather, and all of a sudden it's pounding us. Our, our lives are just are, are thrown into turmoil. You know, I, I have to confess that it, when I was taught, or thinking this through, I thought of my daughter right away. Um, she's pregnant. Some of you don't know that, but I've shared that with a few people. And she has one of the challenges that at some point she has to have a liver transplant. Um, it's years down the road, maybe. There's a degrading liver. Or, you know, That's what's happening. It's breaking down. And then for her, the last abrupt storm came a couple months ago. As she got pregnant, they were doing some testing. The doctor took her aside and said, you're your daughter has Turner syndrome. And even that storm for her, I have to confess, it spilled over on Deanna and I. And we wrestled with it. But see, isn't that true for so many people? In one moment, you can find yourself in the middle of a terrible and horrible storm. One phone call one doctor's visit one tick of the clock there you are water's coming over into our personal boat and it's beginning to sink but here's the biblical understanding it shouldn't surprise us look at john 16:33 Jesus says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. But look at this statement. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, Jesus acknowledges that we live in a broken, fallen world and there are going to be things and crises that come into our lives abruptly. Life isn't always smooth. But I, you know, I confess to you, and I I think you'd be the same. Wouldn't we rather avoid those things, and especially the emotions that go on with it—the anxiety, the panic, the fear, the discouragement? See, we want the storms of life really to be not us. It's okay; somebody else deals with it, but not us. See, but the boat can be filling up in our lives and we're sinking and we feel helpless. But I've got to point to another application here from this story. See, Jesus is in the boat with them. The storm comes. But I think, it doesn't really say it directly, but I, I, I'm convinced this is true. Look at verse 37 and 38. There's another piece here. So that the boat was already filling. Just stop there a second. I think they were trying to bail it out. That would have been the natural reaction for a sailor, for somebody that's been on that. Come over. They, you know, they didn't have pumps, okay? They would have had a bucket, a couple buckets where they're throwing out water. I think that was their situation. But look at how it goes. And they woke Jesus up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care what we that we are perishing? See, I can assume it got to the point where the water was coming in faster than they could throw it out. And then they look at the back of the boat and go, let's go talk to Him. Let's talk to Jesus. But here's the point number two, I think is the reality of our lives. It's common to try to handle the storms of life first by ourselves. And it's only when we realize that we can't deal with the situation that's when they're ready to turn to Christ. And I admit that I've done that. I've seen that as well in lots of other people's lives over the years, working either with families or marriages and how things are falling apart and breaking down. And oftentimes I look and go, I'm not sure that they're inviting God into the problem. And I think one of the signs that that people are getting serious about inviting God is that they're willing to allow other people to help in those settings. So whether, but but understand this applies to every age. If you're a teenager here, if you're a young adult, if you're single, you're married. You understand the flesh, that part of us, the flesh says, handle, tough it out, do it alone. I can handle it. See, the flesh tells us. Well, what it does is it raises up pride within us and we get stuck there and we become stubbornly independent and we clench our fists and finally Jesus has to pry them open or we come to a place where we go, okay, Jesus, I'll allow you in. Let's keep going on the text. But there's another, see, they've hit the panic mode, but look at that response. And he said to him, teacher, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? They thought they were going to die. But you notice one thing on this statement: they call him teacher. You catch that? Not Lord. They call him teacher. And understand, they weren't. I think they were desperate. I'm not convinced that they that they really believed that Jesus could deal with it. But but. In this accusation, they're giving Jesus actually a very subtle rebuke. See, they're challenging his motives. Don't you care? They're challenging the reality of his love for them. They're a bit offended by him sleeping in the back of the boat, and they're working so hard. They go, what did they expect from him? Now, I, I want to point something out here that, uh, as I pondered this, you realize they weren't expecting Jesus to calm the sea. And you go, what, how do you know that? It's because when he did do it, they were terrified. See, that it wasn't the issue. They didn't think that he was going to calm the sea at that moment. But here you have a group of men that's saying, Jesus, you're devoid of compassion. So it leads to another application, number three. I think this is what's going on. When the storms of life come, there will always be an invitation to have an encounter with Jesus. When times get hard... And and, or maybe even in the normal pressures of life. Or it could be difficult storms when those things take place. If you believe that there's a God out there that loves you, the Holy Spirit is coming and inviting you to encounter Jesus, the triune God. Now, the encounter might include his love, it might include his holiness. It might be about his sovereignty. And as, he, as, he, as we encounter him, I think what happens is this. We begin to head down two paths, potential paths. And if you're taking notes, I said the first one is this. The first path, we blame him or curse him. God, why did you? But but the second path really can be this. It's a surrender to him, and it leads to a response where we worship him. Remember Job? I've used this text a couple of times because it's so relevant to our lives when hard times come. If you remember, maybe you've never read Job, go home and read it. Job 1, it talks about where Satan wants to test Job. And God lets him do that. And and so first, Job's, all his servants and his sheep all get killed. And somebody's telling him this. And then someone runs up to Job and says, Job, all of your children have been killed in a house where the house fell on them. And look at the response of Job. Chapter 1, verse 20. At this, Job got up. And he tore his robe. It was a sign of complete despair, that tearing of the robe. And he shaved his head and then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Do you see this path here? Job had an opportunity, he could curse God, or he could move toward worship, and he worshipped God. But i got to remind you in this story, one thing we forget so often in this story is he wasn't the only one afflicted by this, all of the tragedy. His wife, he was married, he had a wife. And it tells us this in chapter 2. Matter of fact, Satan's not done with him. And look at chapter 2, verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. And he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he had said. See, I think we can assume what Job's wife's response was. She cursed God. God, you don't care. I refuse to bow before you. I refuse to worship you. See, we at these moments, these crisis moments, we have these two paths. We encounter, and the Spirit invites an encounter with, with Himself. And the disciples encounter Jesus here in the boat where there's a crisis going on and Jesus, you don't care that we're going to drown in the boat. You don't care that Well, let's transplant it to today. God, don't you care because my life has fallen apart? Don't you care, God, that I just received this terrible report from the doctor? See, the disciples had seen his compassion. They had seen him heal people. But you notice, I don't know if you catch this, you notice he just stands up. He doesn't respond to this charge. He stands up, and he doesn't, he doesn't do any voodoo thing in terms of the storm. He just It says that he rebuked the wind for them. And there's a, it's a strong phrase. It's actually used in chapter 1 and chapter 3 here in Mark when he deals with demonics. But it's basically this, wind, shut up, stop, no more. See, but because matter of fact, well, let me point one thing out. Some people think the storm was because he uses that phrase was demonic in nature. That God actually had allowed the wind to come, as maybe even trying to destroy the disciples. Jesus, they're not sure exactly. I don't know if you can definitively say that. But see, we learn something from this as well. See, the, the conclusion that you have to draw from this book, the Scriptures, when you read this story, it reveals the authority and the power of Jesus. And we have to conclude that even in this, center, this crisis going on of the wind is that the forces of nature are subject to the voice of Jesus. See the reality he has the authority that God has the authority to over every drop of rain He has authority over every earthquake that exists any hurricane God has authority over it See I would say this the Bible tells us there's no such thing as mother nature you hear that term? There is only God and the Father, Son, and Spirit who control even all of nature. And this shouldn't have been new to the disciples, but there were some missing pieces here. Let me show you something from Psalm 107. This is David understanding some of this stuff. Look at what it reads, verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships, and there were merchants on the mighty waters. And they saw the works of the Lord and His wonderful deeds in the deep. For He spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and then he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper and the waves of the sea were hushed and they were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. This fits the story exactly. Do, do we catch that in Mark? This is Mark 4. I, I, I can't help but wonder after this where uh, they get to the other side and he, he goes, Disciples, you know, you call me teacher. I have an assignment for you. Get out the Old Testament and go to read Psalm 107. And I want you to write a five-page report that you're going to do oral orally for me at some point. Do you catch this, this psalm? Is that he, Jesus, God, is in control of everything. The storms, physically, and the storms even in our lives. Look at the last portion of the text, though. Look at verse 39. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. You catch this Big waves, And all of a sudden there is glass for water skiing. Look at verse 40, though. Haunting questions. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? See, this is a hard reminder. And I think that if we are as if we're followers of Christ, it's something that we really don't like. I'll put it point it out for your notes. There, a hard reminder: the responses to life's storms are deeply connected to our level of faith. Our response tells something about us. Now, I, I got to be careful even on these men because I, I, I think God again wasn't done with them yet. And he's not with us. But it it causes us to pause and maybe look in the mirror and ponder the reality. If I claim to have this deep faith and I'm still consumed by fear, there's something true that we really don't like. And and if that's my life, I think God is whispering and said, Ken, it doesn't mean that your faith is as far along as you think you do. You have it. You know, the, the day... When my daughter gets word that she'll have to be put on a liver transplant list. What will it be like for me then? Will I move toward fear or will I move toward faith? I know there's going to be an opportunity. There's going to be an encounter with God at that moment. Faith. He wants us to have faith. Look at Hebrews 11.1. Again, just a reminder of the definition. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, but it always includes a person of God. The conviction of things not seen. See, we don't know the outcome, but faith demands that we trust and not knowing the end result. But in this, do we stop and ponder and go, God, you're inviting me. Into your presence. You're looking for, he's looking for us to move toward him because he wants to give us more faith. It's not generated just by ourselves. God has to work in that, and he uses the hard times to do it. But he wants us to respond with worship rather than complaint or even move toward cursing God. But here's where I need to end because there is a question in this text that is at the very core of our series here. Look at verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you catch that they're just learning a little bit more about who this Jesus is. And this day they discover that the winds obey him. The seas obey him. And their response actually was fear. They had come face to face with the God of the universe. And when you ponder this a second, you go, this really showed... In some ways, their ignorance about Jesus. Listen, they had watched him heal a deaf man. A, a leper was healed completely from his diseases of the skin. But when they saw this took place, that Jesus was the God of the universe, this was new for them, that he had power over the wind and the seas, and they responded with fear. See, I have to be pointed, their faith was still defective. And I'll remind you again for the second time, Jesus wasn't done with them, thank goodness. See, if they had known who he truly was, their faith actually would have been strengthened. Fear would have been reduced. See, the reality is there's another application for us in that picture. And it's around this most crucial question. Look at number four. If you want to write this in, our level of faith and trust in Jesus is determined by how we answer the question who is this Jesus? Who is this man? The willingness to walk by faith and the trust that God is good is dependent on how we answer who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? Now the disciples, they're going to grow in their faith. Man, and he's getting them ready. This is more training even for them. But let me put a question on the screen that's so difficult. Do we believe that every threat in our lives is subject to the will of God? Do we believe that he has that authority and that he has the power to do anything he wants? And it makes such a difference how we answer that question, who is this guy? Uh, let me just read you a couple of verses that, are, that, in one sense, kind of challenges us to, who is this guy? Luke 9, 24, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. You go, is that true? And whether it's true or not, depends on our view and our embracing who this Jesus is. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If we don't embrace that, it, it gives our definition of what we believe about Jesus and, and the Father. And another one that's so relevant, Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for good to those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. When bad things happen, do we really believe that that is true? That God is in complete control and He can take the very hardest crises in our lives and He can use it for His kingdom, His glory, His purposes in our lives and we just have to trust Him. See, who Jesus is is critical. And you think, where, where does this question of who is Jesus, where does it start? You know, if you're a middle school person, it starts then. If you're 15, 18, 30, 50, 75, the answer to that question is so relevant in the way we live our lives in this world. Who is this man, Jesus. Who is God the Father? See, is He just someone that we work for? Or is it someone that, you know what, we view Jesus as, well, He's supposed to keep us from these storms of life. He's my genie to get me out of them. Is that what we believe? See, every time that a storm comes, we're going to be confronted as to who He is. Does He care? Do you have a God who cares and loves to the point where he can change you and give you a faith which is the opposite of fear? Folks, the answer to the question, and here's where there's a nuance, you got to hear me on this, is not to know more about Jesus. It's knowing him personally. That's where it starts. And he is inviting us to come. He's inviting us to give up our independence, to bow before him. Instead of choosing a path of anger and cursing God, he's going, bow before me, worship me. Come to my presence, experience my love. And my prayer is that you would begin to pray and just invite him to reveal himself to you today, even if you're in the midst of a crisis right now. See the question, do you know Jesus? Is that just from a distance? Or is it up close when you're in the middle of a crisis? I'm going to ask the elders to come up. We want to remember him. But let me, as they're coming up, ask you one more question. And it's a phrase I came across, and it's the right phrase. Do you personally trust Jesus when life is hellish? When life is like this. Up and down in waves. See, God invites us to come to Him, not accusing Him, do you really care, God? He invites us to come and open up our hands and and say, I give up control of you. I give up. And we get to celebrate communion today. But the Jesus that we are remembering today, he's a personal, he can be a personal friend of ours. A father that loves. The, the triune God is a personal God that we remember today. And I invite you to seek him, to get to know him, to love him with all your heart and soul and mind. Guys, if you want to hand out the elements here today, I'd remind you that we do practice open communion, but just hold the bread, the little element there that you get. We want to partake of that together. But just ponder and go, just think of the love that God has wants you to know. Just bow before him and give your heart to him even right now as you're waiting.